Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? This time, we're back to talk about perfectionism and how it leads to procrastination. So we're talking a little bit about what is perfectionism, and then we'll go into like, how do you know if you are one? And then we'll go into the dangers of being or becoming one, and then what to do now and how to prevent procrastination. So what is it? Let's think about this. We live in a world where everyone is striving for perfectionism, literally. And, and social media has made this a thousand times worse. I'm not sure. I think it was probably like in the 70s. There was this movement towards like self-development and betterment. And I think we just really got away from, and I think about this all the time, like a dream, a goal, a desire that I would love to have in this lifetime, which I'm like, it's so like anti-societal that I'm not even sure I could conceptualize it enough to ever get there. But this idea of like almost living off grid, like having some farmland and having some animals and having a garden and just having days go slow and simple and be peaceful. And even like, can there be some like urban level of that? Because I do love the city and I love the action the city brings and stimulation, but I don't like it all the time. So how can I create my home to be, to be the opposite? But back to the point is, is somewhere, I think in the like seventies, we, we, started moving this like self-development, self-focused direction. And ever since then, it has only grown. And then you include social media and everyone is like, wants this perfect house and this perfect job and the perfect friend network and the perfect body. And like, we're blasting ideas of perfectionism of these different categories all over the internet. We're seeing it on TV. It's just, it's in our face all the time. And it's, it's shifting our neural pathways to like think and believe that we have to achieve this certain level. And that level is almost often and regularly and almost always like out of reach or it might even be within reach, but then we bump the bar up again and again and again, and we're never happy with where we're at. So think about this. The American Psychology Association has done a lot of research on perfectionism specifically. And since the eighties, massive, massive growth in people identifying as perfectionists, which makes sense. Again, that seventies was that like self-development period, like give it a good 10 years. And suddenly everyone's like focused on this perfect everything. Whew, man, why, why, why do we feel this way? Well, societally and globally, and it also makes us to feel connected. Like if we look a certain way or we have a certain thing, we can connect to people that look that way and have that thing. So there's this desire to be like socially and globally connected. Because if we achieve that, we feel safe and we feel a sense of belonging. 
And, and like deep down in our core, that's what we want. We want to feel safe biologically. We want to feel like we belong. We're like back to that hunter gatherer tribe where we developed out of like being socially connected, belonging to a group that created safety. That's essentially what we're trying to create today, just in a whole different scale and level. It's that social comparison game and unrealistically high expectations. The reality is this, the more you strive for perfectionism or perfection, the less satisfied you will be with your life because perfectionism and perfectness does not exist. You will never be happy with where you land because as soon as you land where you wanted to land, you'll want the next level and the next level and the next level, whether that's income, whether that's kids, whether that's house, like it's just never enough. It's so hard to be happy with what you have. If you do start to chase perfectionism or are chasing perfectionism, it will become a race towards anxiety and depression. It does not lead to a happy place or a happy state of being and can, can derive out of, of childhood too. Like think about parents that were too busy doing insert X and you weren't getting their attention. And naturally you would try and do things to get their attention. A lot of those acts were acts of perfectionism, like the perfect grades, the best athlete, the best performer in the play, like whatever you could do to like, look at me, I'm here. Like, don't forget about me. Like, let me perform. Let me, let me do the perfect thing to get your attention. And then your brain starts to wire in that direction. And you think you need, you need to do that in relationships. You need to do that in work. You need to do that in life. And it just, it just carries over. It spills over. Okay. That was the heavy. That was the hard. Let's go lighter. Well, not lighter yet, but we'll go lighter at the end. How do you know if you're a perfectionist? I'm going to ask a couple questions. I want you to think and check yes or no. If you check yes to the majority of these questions, you're probably a perfectionist. It's like a scale, zero to one, two, three, four, five, six, six questions. So zero to six, how, how perfectionistic are you? If you say yes to all, you're real far on the right on the six. Do you often get agitated by your actions or the actions of others. Also, I will say this is a hard reality. When I asked myself these questions, I was like, dang, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so hold grace for yourself. You're not a bad person because you're a perfectionist, but knowing that you are and becoming self-aware is the first step in healing. Okay. So do you often get agitated by your actions or the actions of others? Sure do. My alarm clock goes off at 4am and I don't get up. I get real upset with myself because that's my time to myself before my baby wakes up and I'm really hard on myself because I've created a rule for myself. And that rule says you must be up at 4 a.m. so that you can have from four to five free. And I beat myself down when I am too tired to get up. Do you feel that things should be done your way? I would ask you to really be honest with yourself here because I'm reading that question. I'm like, no, but do I? Like, I like sustainable living. I like sustainable things. So I keep compost in my house. I do cloth diapering. Well, that kind of means I'd like to have my house run a certain way and raise my kid a certain way. Do I believe that my way is the only way and the best way? Not necessarily, but do I feel strongly about my way? Yes. Do I feel like things should be done my way? Within reason, yes. <laughs> do you wait for the perfect moment or time to embark on something? When I launched the Behavior Hub, the organization I run, it took me months, months and months just to come up with a name, the perfect name. And then it was like, oh, I got to get the perfect website. I got to get the perfect business card. I got to get the perfect logo. I didn't launch that thing for like three years. Do you rarely admit your mistakes or talk about them? 
does asking for help seem like a sign of weakness? Has anyone ever called you a perfectionist? Those are your six questions. If you answered yes to many of them, you're probably on the perfectionistic side of the spectrum. And that is okay. I'm in there with you, still there with you. Even having, even having done a lot of this work to like reverse that and come out of it, I'm still in it. I'm still trying to get through it. I'm still trying to get over it. I'm still trying to be better at not being a perfectionist. It's hard. So let's think about this. If you are a perfectionist or you have perfectionistic tendencies, what does that mean for you? Well, one, it reduces your productivity because think about this, like even for my example, not getting up at 4am, I get upset with myself for not getting up at 4am and I start off on the wrong foot because I'm upset with myself. Then I go into the day kind of like grumpy and irritable because I didn't get up with get up at four, not only because I missed that time to myself, but also because I'm upset with myself for not getting up productivity down. Yep. Cause I'm not in the best mental state. Doesn't make you successful No, Cause you're never happy with where you land. You always want the next level or the next thing. It robs you and steals you from enough joy because you can't be present. Can't be happy. Ruins your self-esteem. Always comparing yourself to someone else, something else. It's selfish. It leads to procrastination. Yes, it sure does. <laughs> it also can negatively impact your relationships, whether they're coworkers, friends, family, romantic partners, husbands, wives. Interestingly enough, it's connected to genetics on some level. And if you have perfectionistic parents and you see those tendencies and you develop in that atmosphere, environment, your chemical makeup, one, you get the genes that were already altered, but then your genes either stay altered or if they're not altered, they'll alter. It's called the epigenetic system. So if you don't break your perfectionistic tendencies, carries on to your kids, can, can carry on to your kids. Can also lead to addictions because it's just like, again, like never enough, it's never enough, never enough. How do you cope? Never feeling like enough and always being hard on yourself addiction, addictive substance. It can make you become abusive in some ways, because if you are incredibly perfectionistic and some of those questions that you answered were yes, then you can become naturally very controlling because when things get out of control in your life or your environment, you, you do things to try and regain control and you coercively do things to get people to do stuff your way. So it definitely can lead to that. It affects your overall health pretty negatively. Like if your mindset's not great, your health is eventually going to follow. So reflect on that list. Do any of these things maybe resonate with you? And I know it's like, it's so hard to become self-aware and you're like, no, <laughs> no. Check in with yourself. Do these things resonate with you? And if they do, that's okay. I, I still resonate with a lot of these things. And we're going to work on it and we're going to improve it and it's going to get better. So what do we do? You could work on eliminating your negative thoughts. So that's what I'm working on. Like when I don't get up at 4 a.m., I'm working on like holding grace and compassion for myself and not beating myself down for not doing it. I also speak out loud and regularly internally speak kind words to myself, affirmations, positive speaking, sticky notes, whatever it is, working on that. I am accepting, and, and we all should accept our imperfections. 
my skin's not clear enough. My hair's not done well enough. My scars, whatever. I accept myself as I am. Make forgiveness a lifestyle. That one's hard. That's where you admit your mistakes. Prioritize your mental health and your self-care and your stress management. That one's hard to do. Be intentional about your life. Know your own personal core values and really lean into those values. Something else that will help, live a healthy lifestyle, eat healthy, move your body. All those things help to get blood flowing, oxygen to your brain, think more clearly, calm yourself down. You get out of this irrational state. And then think about, can you even like use your love language with yourself? See, if you've not heard of love languages, acts of service, gifts, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation. You can do all of these things for yourself. Acts of service. You can like cook yourself happy meals or invest in yourself in some way. Tidy up your environment. All of those are ways that you take care of yourself and give service to yourself. You clean the house and you get to sit in a clean house. You get to enjoy that. It's an act of service to self. You can definitely buy yourself like a unique experience or clothing item. Now we don't use that as like a coping mechanism, but a gift now and then is, is an okay thing. Quality time, set aside time to pursue hobbies for relaxation, physical touch, go for a massage, work on stretching with someone, take a hot bath, words of affirmation, daily affirmations to yourself, positive self-talk, relatively simple. There's one last resource I want to give to you all. It's the concept of Wabi Sabi. I read a book on it. There are a couple books on it. The one I read was by Robert Miller. It was like short and easy to read. But this concept of Wabi Sabi, which is more like a worldview, but it's become more of like a, an aesthetic that people are kind of trying to create. But it's this acceptance of transience and imperfection. It's this acceptance of like, it's not done yet. I'm not done yet. They're not, I'm not there yet. Like it, it is okay not being finished. So when we're talking like aesthetically, it's, it's loving and accepting and finding the beauty in the imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete. So for me, like, I'm just like, oh, I want to get it done. I want to get it done. I want to get it done. I want to get it off my checklist. It's learning to accept that it's on your checklist and that's okay. And you can still live your life while it's on your checklist. When we're speaking aesthetically, it's like almost rooms and spaces that don't aren't filled, have a lot of empty space, have a lot of white space, have empty walls. So it almost looks unfinished, imperfect, but it's not. It's very intentional. The space is left there for you to just sit and reflect and appreciate it. I've I've also seen like wabi sabi aesthetics of like like unfinished wood or like wooden beams where it's like it looks like they didn't put on the drywall yet and it's exposed beams. Uh, there is, I mean, there's just lots of like raw wood or unpainted or like natural earthy elements, really calm tones and just kind of breathing into and leaning into and accepting whew, impermanence, unfinished, transient. So feel free to research that topic a little bit, or even just read one of the books. Again, I read the one by Robert Miller. Great book, great concept. Love Wabi Sabi. And that takes us to today's listener question, which is what can we, what strategies can we give students who need to cope? Like if they're stressed out, overwhelmed, depressed, anxiety, what can we do to help them cope? 
one of the things that I would do is really have them check in with their body, like recognize that they need to cope because we can teach them the coping skills, but they don't recognize they need to use them. Then are they even going to use them? And then I would also have them check in, like, are they like up or are they low? Where's their like energetic dysregulation? If they're up and high energy, they need to come back down. If they're low and like disconnected, disassociative energy, they need to come up. So you'd want a regulation strategy that would bring them up or bring them down. Kind of thinking opposites here. So what are some examples? Breath work is great. And you can do breath work to bring your energy up by breathing really quickly in short breaths, or you can use breath work to bring yourself down by long, slow breaths. You can also practice mindfulness activities, like any type of creative arts, drawing, painting, like even taking one minute and just like sketching out something that you see in your environment is a beautiful mindfulness activity. I bought a book on this to like help hold myself accountable. It's called 365 Days of Art. I use that book and I, I get, kind of get away from it. And I go back to it, but it's a beautiful way of like bringing me to the present and making sure that I'm practicing mindfulness. You can also work on organizing or sorting or cleaning stuff. Like if you externally organize it internally organizes. So that can help students Bilateral movement. So think of like cross body or even like step, 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 step. So like walking, jumping, running, tapping your body. Uh, if I like tap my thighs or I tap my shoulders, that can be really self-soothing. Plus on this podcast and on the Behavior Hub website under the blog, oodles of other options for helping students cope. So check those places out and they'll give you lots of options. To wrap up our show, I'm going to share with you our try it at home tip, which is tuning into sense, like really using your scent sense <laughs> to become more mindful and present. Like I have started getting like the cleanest candles I can get that have scents that don't like overwhelm my body, just like subtle, like woodsy scents and just burning them every now and then, like when I'm working or at night and just really tuning into that scent. And it's really, really, really calming. Same with like essential oils or diffusers, things like that. Okay. Why are we doing that? Well, because tuning into your scent really helps you to bring you back to the present, which is like mindfulness activity. So it calms your body down. Good thing to do proactively and also uh, reactively when you're feeling a little bit dysregulated. That's it for today's episode of Returning to Us Podcast. Remember our tried at home tip, which is tune into scent. And if you are looking for more ways to improve stress, trauma, behavior, brain-based practices, anything, whether it's school, home, kids, family, education, I would love to be a part of that journey. The Behavior Hub offers a range of supports from coaching to online courses to even group training programs, even university credit for this stuff. So if you would like to learn more about that, anything on the Behavior Hub will, website will come to me. So shoot me an email through there. And if you want to do this at more of like a, this type of work at the, the more like organizational wide level, like really work on like stress management and company culture and productivity and keeping employees Five Ives, F-I-V-E-I-V-E-S is an organization that I just launched with a business partner that we take our trauma and neuroscience backgrounds and we bring it into the workplace and really shift the energetic experience of a workplace. So check out fiveives.com. 
that's it for today's episode. And uh, I look forward to seeing you all for the next one. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer. Thanks for joining me. Thank you.